0: As many of you know, I have been preaching through the Beatitudes, and today we are ready for the final beatitude found in verse 10, and expounded on in verse 11 and 12. And so I will read Matthew 5:10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The word persecuted, as we find here, simply means to endure suffering for Christ. It means to be mocked, ridiculed, criticized, slandered, and even martyred for the cause of Christ. And so, who are the persecuted? Well, the persecuted is any person who boldly lives and speaks for the righteous cause of Christ and is reacted against. Jesus says, such people will discover supreme blessing, happiness, and great reward. I believe we see a paradox in godly persecution. Now, a paradox is something that seems to contradict itself. The paradox in godly persecution reveals that the true nature of the world is evil. Think about with me. The person who strives to live and stand for righteousness is oppressed and persecuted. The one who loves and cares for the physical and spiritual needs of mankind. The one who has the one and only answer for mankind's problem is the one that is fought against. This doesn't make sense, but it's true. Persecution will come because we are doing good. We are living right. That's why persecution comes. Have you ever tried to help a a wild animal or even a domestic animal that has got itself in some kind of predicament? You know, maybe it's tangled or wedged or caught into some kind of a Situation where it can't get itself loose. And so you try to, you attempt to help that animal. Well, what does that animal do? (laughs) It will bite, it will scratch, it will gourd. You are trying to help that animal, and all it wants to do is get its teeth and its claws into you. And so it is with the Christian and the world. The Christian out doing all he can for the good of mankind and what does he get? He can get bit and scratched and gourd. And so persecution is a sign that we are living right for Jesus Christ and his cause. The book of Timothy says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There are six facts about this beatitude that makes it impossible to ignore. Number 1, it's the last beatitude. Number 2, it's the longest beatitude. Number 3, it's the only beatitude with a command to rejoice. Number 4, it's the only beatitude with an explanation. Number 5, it's the only beatitude that is repeated by Jesus. And number six, it is the only beatitude addressed directly to the reader. And notice again verse 11. Notice the three yous. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. You see, this is directed to the reader. Directed to us to you to me and so I want to think now about persecution in general and later we will consider the command to rejoice and so let's think about persecution I have three points for us to consider and first of all the word persecution or a form of it is repeated three times in this beatitude Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Verse 12, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so I see in this that some form of persecution will eventually come. And Jesus is saying, don't be surprised by it. Don't be caught off guard by it, expect it to come. Because the world will persecute. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. And since Jesus said these words, many Christians have suffered extreme persecution. Almost all of Jesus' disciples suffered martyrdom and it's believed that thousands upon thousands lost their lives in the first 300 years of Christianity. And even today, persecution of the godly is a present reality to many Christians across the world. In America, Christians are not necessarily suffering physical persecution for their faith, however, We may experience just a greater challenge, not the courage to die for our faith, but the courage to live for our faith. I'd like for you to turn over to John chapter 15. I'd like to read verse 18 through 21. As we think about persecution will come, again we have the words of Jesus. And if you notice in these four verses, again the word you is used 10 times in these four verses. And so think about that as I read. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And so, according to Jesus' words, the reality is persecution will come. If we're following Jesus, if we're following his example, we can expect some persecution in some form or another. It will come. And so I'd like to think now what is persecution and what is and what it is not. And maybe we should have had this first, but let's think about that. What is persecution? What is it not? Well, as I said earlier, the word persecuted simply means to endure suffering for Christ. And sometimes there may be confusion on what persecution is and what it is not. Jesus is not talking about all people who are persecuted for all things here. He is very specific about who this blessing is for. He is talking about those who suffer for being a Christian. And so suffering that comes to us because we have been offensive, difficult, and insulting to others is not being persecuted for righteousness sake. Suffering that comes from trouble that we bring on ourselves is not persecution. Neither is suffering that comes from the results of a poor decision. There is a difference between being punished for wrongdoing and being persecuted for righteousness sake. When father takes young Melvin to the woodshed and gives him a whooping for being disobedient, now young Melvin may think he's getting persecuted, but he's not. Young Melvin is getting punished for wrongdoing And so, let's not be, when we say we are being persecuted, let's think about what we're saying. Uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 15 says, and listen to these words, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody, in other people's matters. Now, the first three sufferings as a murderer, a thief, and an evildoer, we would think is way out there. (laughs) And hopefully it is. But suffering that comes from being a busybody in other people's matters may strike closer home. A busybody is a meddling or prying person. And people naturally draw back from a busy body. And so according to the scripture, if I find myself suffering due to meddling in other people's business, I'm not suffering persecution. That's not how we are to suffer. And so the answer for the busybody is to mind his own business and work with his own hands. And so, not everyone that claims to be persecuted is actually undergoing persecution. Some are simply suffering the consequences of their own foolishness. I believe the key to understanding what persecution really is, is found in the word righteousness. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does his righteousness look like? I thought of three things and you will probably think of more, but his righteousness will always be in agreement with the word of God. His righteousness will always be in agreement with God and his attributes. His righteousness will walk in the light as he is in the light. And we'll have fellowship one with another. And so the blessing in this beatitude is pronounced on those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. If you notice there in verse 11, it reveals the various ways in which persecution may come against the Christian. And first we have verbal insults. Blessed are those when they revile and persecute you. And the word revile literally means to cast in one's teeth and has the idea of criticizing severely with the aim of discrediting. And then second, we have false accusations and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Harsh, abusive words usually said behind our backs. And I believe one crucial word that we must notice here is the word falsely. The word falsely is crucial because it defines the difference between being persecuted for righteousness sake and suffering because of the trouble that we brought on ourselves. And so hopefully that explains what persecution is and what it is not. And then let's think of the promised blessing to the persecuted. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice Jesus does not say theirs will be the kingdom of God, but rather says there is, theirs is the kingdom of God. You see, there is a promise for the present. As one suffers for Christ. The kingdom of God is poured out upon them. It is theirs. There's a verse over in 1 Peter four, fourteen that says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. And how do we best explain the spirit of glory resting on the suffering one? You know, it's somewhat hard to put words to it, but I will simply say when we suffer for the name of Christ, there is a pouring out from the throne of heaven. There is a pouring of power. There is a pouring of provision. There is a pouring of protection. That is why Jesus says to the persecuted to rejoice and be exceedingly glad, which literally means skip and hop with excitement. Why? Because great is your future reward in heaven. And so now we see it is not a reward that we fully receive here, but it awaits us in the future. And holding on to that future perspective should help us in the present. And so we have two blessings promised. First a present outpouring of blessing from the throne of heaven and second a future great reward in heaven. And so that's some general thoughts about persecution and this beatitude in general. But I want to move on and think about The command to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Now in our Sunday school lesson, we had a verse that said, um, rejoice always. All right, y'all already read that, right? And again, I say rejoice. And now Jesus says to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. How can this be real? What? What must we understand? What must we know so that we, too, can rejoice and be exceedingly glad? Well, I have five points I want to consider to help us know so that we, too, can have this rejoicing within ourselves, within our hearts. So number one, we can rejoice in persecution because it is a demonstration of our identity. The last part of verse 12, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution identifies us as part of the faith. Suffering is the badge of true discipleship. Jesus said the disciple is not above his master. And so if you go to the book of Acts, And you start reading about the early church and you will find that the early church is immediately under persecution and the people are rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Jesus says in Luke 6 verse 35, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And notice this. And you will be sons of the Most High. People are going to recognize that. And they are going to say, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. And so persecution, we can rejoice in persecution because it is a demonstration of our identity in Jesus Christ. All right. Number two, we can rejoice in persecution because God uses persecution to refine us. Now, I don't, my flesh, don't necessarily like this point, but I think we need to recognize it. And we can turn to First Peter, chapter one. I'll read six through nine, and then we'll go to the book of James. But persecution can be a tool that God uses to work on this old flesh. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Him having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I believe Peter is saying that persecution, trials, is the furnace in which God refines us and purifies us. The furnace of persecution removes the impurities from our lives. And we see the results of those who receive that, you see. And let's turn over to the book of James. We'll read verse James chapter 1 and read 2 through 4. James chapter one, verse two. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so we can rejoice in persecution because we know it is a refining tool of God that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing Well, the third point I have is we can rejoice in persecution because it will show to the world the difference Christ can make in our lives think about it if everything is going my way and I'm rejoicing and happy what makes me different from the non-Christians around me. I mean, we all can rejoice when everything is going our way, right? I know I can. Come so easy. Second Corinthians four verse six says, and I like this verse, it says, "For it is the God, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness." who has shown in our hearts, and what is the purpose of that? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so our rejoicing in persecution is giving that light. It's a way of giving that light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so persecution, we can rejoice in it because it gives us an opportunity to shine for Jesus. It gives us an opportunity to show the difference that Christ makes in our lives. And so, in other words, it's a witness to the world. Fourth, we can rejoice in persecution because of the promise of rewards. Did you see in verse 12, we already talked about the reward some, but we'll talk about it some more. You don't have a small reward waiting. Did you see that? It is a great reward. Now we use the word great. It's a common word. Great food, great weather, great friends, great music. But the word great in this promise means not just good, or nice or present. If you look at that word it means immeasurably great. That is the reward. It's interesting how many of the Bible saints look forward to this great reward. And they wrote about it with great anticipation. Paul writes in Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He was looking forward to something, was he not? Listen to James. He writes in James 1, 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I don't understand Moses. Because when Moses was living, I mean, he wrote the first, what, five verses? I mean, the first five five chapters of the Bible. you know what what motivated moses but moses somehow understood the powerful motivation of a great and future reward we read in hebrews 11:25 and 26 that moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of god than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And that, that just blows me away. I mean, I don't know, hardly know how to put words to it, but, but how was he operating? How, what was he thinking? What was he basing that on? Certainly he must have lived close to God to, to feel that. I mean, we go to the word and you know, we find our confidence in the word, the written word, but what did Moses use? How did he become so convinced that he was willi- willing to lay aside rich living to suffer with the people of God? Real challenge for me today. And so we can rejoice when we suffer as a Christian because the promise, the promised reward is great. Well, fifth, we can rejoice in persecution because Jesus is near when we are suffering. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Therefore, humble yourselves, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I don't know how it is for you, but it's easy for me to believe that God cares for others. I mean, he's God, he cares for others. But do you believe this morning that he cares for you? That he cares about your situation. He cares about what you're going through at this very time. In the book of Exodus, when God's people were in bondage and suffering under the hand of Pharaoh, the Bible tells us that God was mindful of them and he cared for them. And listen to these words from Exodus 2 23 through 25. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Do you believe today that God cares for you? The truth is, he does. He cares for others, but he cares for you. God is always present when his people are hurting and suffering because he cares. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you remember how they refused to bow to that image that the king set up. And you remember how those three young men were thrown into the fiery furnace for their faith in God. And it tells us that the fire was so hot that it burnt up the men that cast them into the fire. Now, have you ever wondered why did the king why did the king get that sudden urge to go and look into the furnace what What motivated that response? I mean, this fire was so hot, and we all know how a hot fire will quickly destroy something, but what motivated him to get up off his throne or whatever he was sitting on? and say, I'm going to go check the fire. Well, I don't have the answer. But I know he did. And when he looked into the flames, he said to his counselors, the men that was with him, he said, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they said, yeah, that's, that's what we did. True, O King, the Bible says. And he says, look, look with me. I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. And they're not even hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And so we can rejoice in persecution because Jesus is near when we are suffering I believe the angel that stood in the middle of the fire there with the three Hebrew boys was none other than Jesus Christ of today in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 20 we have Jesus with his disciples some of those final moments and he says to them Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And listen to these words. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so there was the promise. Did that mean everything went their way? No, like I said earlier, many of them were martyred for their faith. But was Jesus with them through every step of the way? The answer is yes, he promised that. I believe Jesus' words speak to us today. He will be with us even to the end of the age. And so, in conclusion, as we wrap up this study of the Scripture, the Beatitudes, let's think for a moment. What is the purpose of the Beatitudes? What have you gotten out of this? What is the purpose? It would be interesting to go around and hear your thoughts. But the Beatitudes are Jesus' blessing upon his followers. Together they describe what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like. They are like our to do list till Jesus comes. I believe all true Christians will display all these characteristics in the Beatitudes. Although I think it's safe to say not all Christians will display them equally, but we will display them all in some ways. And as we know, as humans, we have our strengths and our weaknesses, and so it won't be totally equal, but we will all work towards it. I believe the truth is, the more you display these beatitudes in your life, the happier you will be the happier you will be in Christ and the greater you will know these blessings that are reserved only for the followers of Jesus Christ what is the purpose of the beatitudes well the first first i gave you more of a personal purpose but let's think of a collective purpose. The Beatitudes show us what God's kingdom should look like on this earth. As we labor together as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God, here is the kingdom blueprint. Here is how the kingdom should be built and lived out. Here is what the world should should see happening among us. Maybe we could say, here is the foundation for a faithful church, like we looked at today in our lesson. And so, God help us to daily live out the Beatitudes, the teachings of Christ. We'll call for a closing song.